like you to take your Bibles and go ahead and turn over to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. And just hold that in readiness as we get started this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just honor you. Lord, we just praise you for this last song as a reminder that there is a day and there is a place where there is no more pain, there are no tears. Lord, we never receive that phone call at two in the morning. We never experience funeral homes. We never go through the things in life that we hate so much, and it's because we have hope in you. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us hope through your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Uh, We are wrapping up our series today, and the series is entitled The Things That uh, Keep Us Up at Night, and this last theme is probably by far the hardest one, and that is the subject of death. Because honestly, it's just one of those things that we don't like to talk about much. It's interesting, I was listening the other day to a podcast, and it's called This American Life. And the host is Sarah Koenig, and she had her mom on there. Her mom is from England, and her name is Maria Matson. Now here's what's interesting. Maria Matson from England, is very proper, and she has a code of seven things that she calls conversation killers never to bring up in a social setting. And she has seven of those. So I'm going to just share with you four of them that Americans can learn. Because she said, people are going into detail with these things. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, honestly, I don't care. Okay? So she's brutally honest. So number one, diet. She said, I don't care. I don't care what the latest fad is, the wonder food. I don't care how much weight you've lost. Quit talking about it. Why would she say that to Americans? I don't think she has a clue. Okay. Number two, health. She said, if you have a serious health issue, by all means, let's talk about it. But if it's a cold or a flu, honestly, who cares? Okay, that's a good one. Money. She said, in Europe, it is rude to talk about money. And she said, and you're obsessed with it in the United States. Well, I don't like her. Okay, I don't think she's even close. Here's the funniest one that I can, I tell you, I can relate to. It's called route talk. How many of you have ever heard of route talk? Good, you're going to learn something new today. Here's what Route Talk is. She said, if you're at a a social gathering and somebody takes longer to tell you how they got there, okay, than it took them to actually get there, I never invite them back, okay? (laughs) Route Talk. Do you know what I mean by Route Talk? Guys are really good at that. If you'll take a left down I-69, but it's not actually I-69 yet, and if you'll turn at the third turn on the left with the dog with three legs, you know, and they go through this whole long thing. And honestly, what are we thinking? I don't care. Okay. I don't care. Okay. But it's interesting in this list. And here's what she calls this, the eradication of dull and self-indulgent droning. I have no idea what that means, but we all have been a part of conversations that are uncomfortable and subjects that we don't want to talk about. But here's a subject she didn't mention, death. When's the last time you had a social gathering and the subject of death came out? Well, there's a reason, because it just is a hard, hard thing to talk about. And in all honesty, uh, even as Christians, many times we avoid talking about death. Years ago, when my daughter was between two and three years old, it was a Wednesday night, it was really cold, got in, we got her all bundled up, you know how you load the kids up and they can barely breathe, so we're being in, and I, I looked over, and Marie's like, okay, let's get home. I said, oh, man, I forgot. Uh, we really need to go by the funeral home. There's this dear old woman. 
from church that passed away, and uh, we need to go visit because I, I can't, won't be able to go to the funeral. And she said, okay, but here's how it's going to work. We're going to go in, and I'll take Rachel into a little room, and you talk for just a few minutes, and then we'll switch, and I'll talk for a few minutes, and we'll take her home. You know, and you know how my wife is, Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. So anyway, we get, we get in the funeral home. Sure enough, she's in the room, and I'm talking. He was an elder at the time. His name's Harry Magner. So I'm talking to Harry, and as I'm talking to Harry, you know, the body's here, open casket, and I can look down the hallway, and all of a sudden I see this little head, and all of a sudden she runs and jumps in my arms. So as she jumps in my arms, I'm thinking, boy, I don't know how she's going to handle this. So I'm kind of doing this dance, and I, I, can see, I can feel her little head looking. And then you know how they are at that age? She puts her hands on my cheeks, and she goes, hey, Dad, what's up with the lady? <laughs> and I, I said, now, Rachel, she's just sleeping. She looked back around, and go, she goes, she looks dead to me. And, and, and Harry Magner, that elder, goes, I think she's got a better handle on this than you do. Yeah, I think, you know what? Rachel is just like so many of us, is here's the obvious, and many times we're like, well, let's just not talk about that. Well, this morning, let's talk about it. And let's look at what God's Word says about, as believers, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that overcomes what? Death. We may not want to talk about it, but it's there. I'll tell you how I want to go. And uh, when I pass away, would you share this at my funeral? It's a quote by Tecumseh, that great Indian warner, Shawnee uh, Native American. And here's what he says. When it comes your time to die, be not like those whose lives are filled with fear of death, so that when the time comes, they weep and they pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. That's how I want to die. That's how we all want to die. We want to surrender and say, death, here's the deal. Jesus Christ is greater than you. Now, that's easy to say. But we know that the promise in God's word is just that. In Isaiah chapter 5, we're going to get into, and you need to know just a little background. Isaiah speaks more about the Savior to come than any of the prophets. He talks about this weeping, suffering Savior that is coming. And once again, Israel is in bondage, and he can see in the future that Assyria is coming. There's even going to be more bondage. And so they're going to be going through some incredibly difficult times. And once again, they are not free. And because of that, he's providing them hope. At the very front of Isaiah uh, 65, it's interesting. In verse 8, he says, I want you to think of it like this. There's a cluster of grapes, and many of you are disobedient. But anybody who makes wine knows the sweetest grapes are the grapes that they want. And God is looking right now. He's looking at this nation like a cluster of grapes, and he's still looking for those that are calling out to God and saying, I surrender to you, and you are his chosen race. And then it's almost as though he hesitates and says, but guess what? It is going to get so much better than that. God has promised for you a new Jerusalem, a new creation that will blow your socks off. That's John Robertson translation, okay? And here's the one word, the one word you need to focus on this morning, and it is the word no. No. Because what Isaiah describes 
is not so much what will be in heaven. He describes the things that will not be in heaven. And I hope it inspires you as it has inspired me for countless years. Look, first of all, in verses 17 and 18. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be the delight and its people's joy. Here's the key phrase, that those former things will not be remembered. I want you to think about that. There's an interesting group of people. Actually, a group is only about six or seven, growing very slowly, and here's why. This group is called Superior Audiobiographical Memory Contestants. Do you know what that means? Now, think about this. This is unbelievable. They'll take somebody in a room, and they can give any date. For example, they could say, July 3rd, 1989, and within 30 seconds, they will tell you exactly what they were doing on that day. They will tell you what's going on in the world. They will tell you who they had lunch with and what they had for lunch. Now, can you imagine that? And so I saw some of these folks when they were interviewing, and you're thinking, there's no way that's going to hold up. And they would say, here's a date, you know, October 13th, 1992, within 30 seconds. Yes, it was a Wednesday. And then they start going through, and they document all this. Can you imagine? I thought, man, that would be the coolest thing to have. And then I thought, no, that would not be a cool thing to have. Can you imagine remembering every day of your life in detail? Now, here's something we can all comprehend. It's what Isaiah was sharing. We all have memories of failure. We have memories of insecurities. We have memories of loneliness and pain. I even have memories that I call location devastation. Do you know what that is? Uh, it's where there's places that you've been in your life, uh, locations that when you approach that location, you literally can get sick at your stomach. Uh, ministers that tell you they don't have that, honestly, they're lying. Because there's just certain, you, you drive up, maybe it has, you haven't been there in years, and you drive up, and as you get closer, you're like, oh man, I don't even know why, but I just feel nauseous. Well, it's because that won't go away. Those memories aren't going to go away. Isaiah knows that, and he knows we need to hear that this morning, is that there is a place where no former things will be remembered. Look at verse 19. There will be a place where there is no more weeping or crying. Now, I want you to think about that, a place where there's no weeping or crying. Now, let's look at the word weeping. In Hebrew, it means bitterly flowing. Now think about that, bitterly flowing. In the English Standard Translation, it says, no more, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. We're not talking, let me talk first of all to men, we're not talking about when IU beats Kentucky, tear, you know, we're not talking, I got a dent in my new truck, tear, you know, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. Or women, he's not talking about, you know, a Lifetime movie, uh, it's Tuesday, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, he's not talking about those kind of tears at all. You know what he's talking about? This is from the, deep from the soul where the pain of your tears is almost like a guttural moaning. It's that agony. That's what he's talking about. You'll never hear that again. 
uh, when I was in fifth grade, that's, I can remember it as if it were yesterday, but I was, uh, I was sitting in the living room. My mom picks up the phone. And as I'm listening, I think, I've never heard my mom laugh like that. It was such a weird sound. And then within a few seconds, I'm like, she's not laughing. And she is crying. And she got off the phone and like fell on her knees. And when you're like 11 years old, I mean, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, mom, seriously, was that a principal? Was that, you know, I'm, it's all about me right now. And she looked at me, and, and she's just trying to get her senses, and she said, um, your dad's brother uh, committed suicide, and they don't know what to do with this. I don't, and, she, and then she just ran outside. And every time when I read the word weeping, that's what I think about. I think about this almost undistinguished, like, agony. And we all know that pain. He said, that's never going to be there again. Then verse 20 is probably one of the most intimate verses, honestly, in the entire Bible. Verse 20 says this, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. For he who dies a hundred will be a thought, a mere ye, when he fails to reach a hundred. You hear what he's saying? When people say, you know, the thing about the Bible is it's not relevant, I want to say, well, why don't you read Isaiah 65 and tell me it's not relevant. Isaiah says, I know that the deepest pain is some of you have experienced is you've lost children. And I want you to know the pain of that will never be in this place ever again. If you want a song that will inspire you, uh, go on YouTube and Faith Hill has a Christmas song entitled, A Baby Changes everything. And that's true. But I can tell you, being in ministry for over 30 years, not only does a baby change everything, when a child is lost, it changes everything. Some of you have lost children, and I know that. And I know the pain is beyond description. And I know sometimes the only thing that keeps you going is that you've put your hope in Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that that pain is something we need to embrace together as a community, because it is so, so hard. 2012, a day after Christmas, I got a phone call, and a good friend said, John, I know it's Christmas, I hate to do this, but he said, my brother and my sister-in-law, they just lost their son. He said, this little guy's eight or nine years old, he has battled so many disabilities in his life, he, he's never been able to communicate, but yet he shows so much love, he's, he's in a wheelchair, and they knew he wouldn't live to be an adult. But he passed away in his sleep, totally unexpected. Could you go up and spend some time with the family? And I've never met him. And then would you please do the funeral? It's times like that I don't like being a minister, to be honest with you. It's times like that I'm like, oh, my land. And I remember going up there, and the ice and the snow, it was just so heavy. And I remember going in the house, and the house was just packed with people. And uh, the, the mom and the dad, they came and sat down and talked to me. And uh, they were explaining their son's life. Beautiful name, Jonas Michael Noel. Had a beautiful name. And they were telling me about his life. And I was taking notes. And I, I leaned over. I just took hand of the dad. And I said, man, 
I'm not just asking how you're handling this right now. How are you getting away from this when you need just to, to get away? And he said, well, that's interesting you asked that. He said, we have a favorite song, me and Jonas. So when it gets too crazy, I go out and I just sit in the car and sometimes I just drive around and I just listen to that song over and over again. And I said, well, what is the song? And he said, it's a song by John Lennon, Beautiful Boy. Now I'll tell you, I should have never listened to that when I got home because I did not do a very good job with that funeral. I don't know what got me more than the fact that it was Christmas season and they had just lost this beautiful child. And they were trying to figure life out. And all I could think about was the things at Christmas I got, you know, so upset or anxious about with my own kids. See, we need to understand that there is a world where that will never happen again. He said, not only children, but he said, there are those that just die too young. I saw a poster one time and said, all these belief statements, and here's what it said, I believe that the people you care about most in life are taken from you far too soon. How many of you agree with that? That we go through life sometimes, and we don't, we're not doubting God, but we're like, God, that was such a dynamic person, and they're not here. And we don't just miss them, we ache for them. And God says in his word, that will never happen again. There's a place when you see a hundred-year-old individual, and they're jump roping, and they're laughing, and we're like, look at that dude. He's a hundred. Ah, what a pup. You know? And we're like, I don't even understand that. And he said, I know you don't, but it's coming. There is a day so much better than today. Verses 21 and 22. And they will build houses and they will dwell in them and they will plant vineyards and they will eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. You know what he's talking about? Injustice. Here's what was happening to the Israel nation. They would come, they would bless the surroundings they would build houses, plant vineyards, and you know what happened? An enemy would come in, and they would just take their homes away. And Isaiah said, I know this is happening time and time again, but I'm telling you, there is a place where that injustice will never happen again. Never. You'll never hear words like, we're just downsizing. It's just a tax increase. The company has to move. There's no more running for your life. No more of that. There is no more injustice. And then verse 23, he uses a key word. He says, there is no more misfortune. Now, when you hear the word misfortune, here's the way I think of it is, misfortune are those things in life that are out of our control. The floods, the droughts, the tornadoes, accidents. You'll never again have to call an emergency worker. You'll never again dial 911. That doesn't exist in this world. Now, I hope you're as excited as I was as I read through that because that gives me hope. And then verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food and they will never harm nor destroy anyone on my holy mountain. Do you see what he's talking about there? Do you see the world that he's painting? He said, I want you to imagine the animal kingdom. And I want you to imagine that all of that has been removed and all of these animals are at complete peace. Does that sound familiar when you read the Garden of Eden? 
And he said, can you imagine a world where there is no violence? Can you even fathom a world like that? And to be honest with you, I can't. Uh, this week has been hard uh, for a lot of folks. And there's so much going on right now that is, um, honestly, it's sickening. And I never again want to pick up a paper or hear and read on the website uh, a heading like this. Pregnant pastor's wife shot and killed in a home invasion in Indianapolis. I don't ever want to read anything like that again. I don't ever want to turn on the news. And they say, we're getting reports from Paris. And then they start unveiling all the chaos that is fueled by what one sergeant said, this is an example of pure evil. I don't want to experience that anymore. And Isaiah says, nobody does. And I promise you that there is a world where there is a peace that goes beyond understanding. That's the world I want to be a part of. Is that the world you want to be a part of? Is that the hope that you want to have and you can have it in Jesus Christ? Because he gives us hope. And here's what I love. Not temporary hope. Not a quick fix. It's hope for all eternity. It's a home you can't possibly describe. Now I've got to tell you some of the heroes over the years that I've met. It's those that, that work with families and work with individuals that are battling death. And that is hospice. And we have a representative here, Tim Cross. Tim and Sam were baptized here uh, not long ago. And Tim is the Director of Community Relations. Uh, Sally Beggarly is the Director of Clinical Operations. And we interviewed them and just asked them a few questions about dealing with death. And we'd like to share that with you at this time. I feel like there definitely is a difference when a patient and family have a strong faith base and those that do not. So many of our patients that we see, uh, they have a great hope. They know that there's something better. Yeah, there's, there's a lady that we're caring for, and uh, when I sat down to meet with her and kind of talk about hospice, um, one of the first things she told me was that she wasn't afraid to die, and it was because she knew that the afterlife and, and heaven was something that she was excited for. Um, she had lived a good long life and that she wasn't scared. She was comfortable. She wasn't afraid of, of dying and the dying process because she knew that she was going to be taken care of and that she was going to be watched over and there were better things coming for her. So the fact that she was able to share that herself not only made the process easier for her, but even more so for the family. Some of our challenges come when uh, maybe the children are not strong in their faith and they just want us to keep doing one more thing for mom or dad. They want things to be prolonged. The other thing that we notice is then people who have maybe no faith whatsoever that uh, any kind of relationship with God or any other type of entity they might believe in, uh, if it's not there, then we see a whole lot more struggling with uh, trying to get the dying process accomplished. Uh, it can be the patient themselves, it can be the children, uh, but it is much more of a struggle. Uh, we see documentation uh, and know ourselves that more medication needs to be used with people who have this, you know, this great fear. It's not until that kind of crisis time that their faith base will show forth, or if they don't have a faith base, that they begin to ask more questions, they begin to really open up to areas that they never used to in their life. 
I've seen many times when, even right before the patients are dying, they will see, they'll say, you know, do you see the angels? They're here. And those are the deaths that, um, that I've got to witness that I just cherish because I do believe that, that the angels do come to usher all of us into uh, the presence of God. Well, let me close with something that uh, is, is powerful, it's something I read. Uh, it's Bronnie Ware uh, is a gal, and uh, uh, she works in palliative care in Australia. And her position is uh, she works with individuals uh, that have been sent home to die. And she wrote a blog, and it went viral. And then she eventually wrote a book, and it's entitled Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I want you to listen to what she's observed being with people in homes. Number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. Number one regret, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Isn't that powerful? Regrets. So I just want to close with an individual who, for, for years, I'll think about this individual, and I'm like, I want to be like this guy. And his name is uh, William Borden. Now, you may remember the Borden family, very wealthy. If you get Borden milk, but in the early 1900s, it was one of the wealthiest families in the world. And William Borden, when he graduated, now you can imagine this, Remember what you got for graduation? I will all be kind of re rewind, you know. Um, I got money, and after the graduation, I went to Pizza Hut. So big time. Okay, so some of you, and you look back, um, he got an all-expense-paid trip around the world. And he could buy and purchase anything he wanted. That was his gift for his graduation. But an interesting thing happened in 1904 on that trip. He encountered Jesus Christ. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and everything changed. And I mean, this guy, everything he ever did, he was all in. And you know what the, the first thing he did? He bought a Bible. And he wrote in his Bible, no reserves. He had declared, I don't care if I have to lose all my money, no reserves, I'm never turning back from this commitment. And the rest of that trip, they said, instead of taking money in, he started giving money away. And the family's like, what is wrong with him? Well, he continues on. He goes to Yale between 1905 and 1909. And as he attends Yale, he starts starting Bible studies. After four years, if you can imagine this on Yale University, he was responsible for over 1,000 students involved in what we would call life groups. He was passionate about others coming to Jesus Christ. And then his family thought, well, that's the end of that. He started getting all these job offers, remarkable job offers, and he had made a declaration I am not accepting job offers. I'm actually going to go to Princeton for two years. I'm going to take language studies. I'm going to be a missionary. And he wrote two more words in the front of his Bible. No retreats. No reserves. No retreat. I am not turning back. God is sending me to China. And if I die in China, I could care less. I am not retreating. I'm heading on. And on his way to China... He was going, first of all, to Egypt to get some language training because he was dealing with the Muslim area of China. And it was there that he was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And at the age of 25, he died. And when the news came back to the States, the news was like 
this poor young man, so much potential. He died at 25. And then they mailed his Bible back to his family. And they opened up the front and they saw those two words. No reserves. Next two words, no retreats. And then they didn't realize he'd wrote two more words right before he died. No regrets. That's how I want to live my life. That's how you should live your life. No regrets. Lord, if I commit my life to you, I know that when I draw my last breath, no regrets because I've given it to you. Some of you this morning may be so hurt with what's going on in your life. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And one of the things that we're establishing in our communion, that's why we have this area here for you to pray. Maybe God has laid something heavy on your heart. Maybe there's a family right now. This is what they're battling. Maybe you're battling this right now. But we want you to know that we are striving to have a life with no regrets because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's celebrate the hope that we have in Christ.